understanding of what took place was there was multiple deceased located on several floors. Three victims were members of the condominium board, but the motive for the shooting remains part of this very complicated and very fluid investigation. It's a high-rise horror story. Violence on a mass scale inside a Vaughan condo building. A man armed with a semi-automatic weapon gunning down five of his neighbors and ultimately killed by police. Good evening. Nearly 24 hours later, it's the kind of situation that's still hard to wrap your head around. An act of carnage, now the focus of several investigations in a twisted tale potentially dating back years. We have full coverage tonight. CTV's Janice Golding with the terrifying series of events that shattered the silence of a Sunday night for people living in that complex. Beth now with the response from residents and John Woodward with what we've uncovered about the man police say was behind the terror. The police chief in York Region says the actions of responding officers likely saved lives. And that nothing's being ruled out when it comes to any sort of motive. Let's begin with CTV's Janice Golding live outside the building near Jane and Rutherford. Janice. Nathan, as you may be able to see, York Regional Police continue to guard this scene, a scene that spans several floors of this building, given the victims lived in multiple units. Emergency workers load a woman into a waiting ambulance while heavily armed police officers surround a condominium at Jane and Rutherford. They were running around so much that I don't think they even like had a thought to clear the scene. Something was happening. They were with their guns out. Building residents out walking their dogs describe the horror of what they saw unfold. They pulled out a woman and they were giving her chest compressions. I walked in on the scene of uh, a firefighter performing CPR on somebody and um, it was really... I would say traumatizing. And inside, residents say it was even more terrifying. I had a rifle not pointed directly at me, but there was two officers with rifles right outside my door. York Regional Police received a call at 7.20 p.m. about an active shooter. Officers arrived to find a horrific scene, with five deceased victims having been shot and killed in three separate units. Police located a man with a semi-automatic handgun in a hallway and following an interaction, an officer opened fire. There was a number of shots um, from one officer, and those uh, a number of those shots would have struck the man. The officer in that interaction is a 24-year veteran of York Regional Police, and he very likely saved lives by his actions last night. Police have identified the alleged mass shooter as 73-year-old Francesco Villi, a longtime building resident. He swore to me, called me. Viola says Villy lived on the first floor and was constantly handing out pamphlets complaining about other residents. I got scared of him. So whenever I saw him, I would evade him. Police say three men and two women were killed last night, three of the deceased members of the condominium board. John Santoro says he sat on that board for a year. I've had him in my apartment several times. He was not a monster. I think he was just someone that was failed by the system. Santoro says the condominium corporation was taking Billy to court to have him evicted, a hearing that was supposed to have taken place today. I was lucky that I was trying to help him. Uh, if I wasn't trying to help him, my story could have been changed uh, tremendously last night. While the SIU and police investigate, the community is extending its condolences. My heart goes out to the victims, uh, their families, uh, to people who knew them. Uh, it's just unspeakable. I have no idea, like, what their families must be going through. It's just really hard to swallow at this point. Police have not released the names of any of the shooting victims. A 66-year-old woman remains in hospital. 
Now, York Regional Police say their officers arrived on scene within three minutes and 20 seconds of receiving the initial call. Of course, the investigation continues. The chief says that multiple search warrants will be executed and officers continue to interview witnesses. Reporting live, I'm Janice Golding. Now back to Nathan. All right. Thank you, Janice. As investigators start their work, people who call that building home are describing a nightmare unfolding in real time. The victims, not strangers to fellow residents. CTV's Beth McDonnell is live with more. Beth. Michelle, people are horrified. They are devastated, and some have been trying to reach their friends all day. It's been a sad and chaotic day for people who live and work at the condo tower, along with family and friends of residents. It's very disturbing. It's very disturbing to wake up this morning and... Madalena Petku says she has a friend on the condo board, a friend she made when she worked there as a property manager for four months in 2018. She says she also knew the shooter, Francesco Vili. The reason I left is because I didn't feel safe in the building. This person was one of the people that I felt were not, um, were not mentally stable. And um, um, I had interactions with the shooter. And I didn't feel it was a good place for me to be working in. York Regional Police say three men and two women died in the shooting. A 66-year-old woman was also wounded and is in hospital. We can say all victims reside in the condo building. Three victims were members of the condominium board. But the motive for the shooting remains part of this very complicated and very fluid investigation. Police offered condolences to those affected by the shooting, but did not confirm any of their identities. A crime of this magnitude is traumatizing for friends and family who at this time of year, especially now, must deal with the tragic death of their loved ones. Petku says the shooting is a wake-up call for others who work in condos. I was one of those people that didn't know how to end on Mr. Bailey because I wasn't trained. Petku says it's a sad day. The condo is a close-knit community. Police say the office of the chief coroner will be providing information about the identity of the victims. Reporting live, I'm Beth McDonnell. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Beth. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is weighing in on the shooting. Obviously, uh, my heart is breaking uh, for families uh, of the victims, for people who are, are injured in the hospital still. It's, uh, it's something that is, um, uh, is unthinkable. I can't imagine what they're going through. Uh, obviously, we're uh, expecting the police to conduct full investigations. We're giving any support that we need from the federal side for that. Trudeau also says that while his government has moved to strengthen gun control in Canada, he feels more needs to be done to keep Canadians safe. The gunman, Francesco Villi, has a long history of dispute with the condo board that started with bizarre complaints before descending into what court records describe as repeated harassment. CTV's John Woodward is live from the Newmarket Courthouse tonight. And John, this is particularly interesting. Villi was supposed to be in court today. That's right. Francesco Villi was slated to represent himself this morning at yet another contentious hearing at the Newmarket Courthouse, part of a process that could have resulted in him being forced to sell his condo unit, something he was dead set against. I am Francesco Villi, the one and only in Canada. This is video posted by Francesco Villi on his Facebook page where he documented some of his tensions with the condo board. Dishonesty must rule the world. 
an argument he made in repeated court filings. A judge summarized them, saying Mr. Villi believes that the electrical room which sits beneath his unit is improperly constructed, resulting in the emission of electromagnetic waves, which have caused him significant pain and suffering over the years. Mr. Villi believes that all the individuals have not only conspired to harm him, but have also conspired to ensure the truth of the matter never surfaces. The judge dismissed that action, saying it had no chance of success. Meanwhile, court records show Billy's behavior at the condo was becoming intolerable. One person wrote this year he called her a demon. Another took a photo of him surveilling people outside. In November 2018, the condo tried to obtain a restraining order. In June of 2019, Billy sued back, alleging oppressive conduct. He was forbidden from communicating with the condo, an order he was found in breach of in September. Residents said recently something got even worse. From the past few days, the man was just, I don't know what was wrong with him, but he was out of his mind and he was just really, really pale. Vili had posted a video of a conversation between him and the condo board's lawyer. The corporation is asking for you to sell your unit and move out. Oh, you think... That's the request. Oh, 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 you, oh, 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 oh. Living in the community and behaving. You, so, so, you, so you think I'm going to just put it for sale and sell my unit? If it, if, it, if, if it was that simple, it would have already been sold in 2015. It's not that okay. simple. I'm going to go now, Mr. Billy. No, 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 no. Mr. McKay. Whatever you're telling to me, you need to tell to the judge. No, 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 I'm not going anywhere. The hearing that was to touch on an aspect of the condo's potential sale was to be Monday, the morning after the bloodshed. We did obtain records of what happened at court this morning. Lawyers pointing to a rule that said the case must be stayed because one of the parties, Mr. Villy, is dead. Reporting live from Newmarket, I'm John Woodward. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, John. And our online team is tracking every angle of this story as it continues to unfold. You can find our continuing coverage at ctvnewstoronto.ca. Straight ahead, if you're still looking for daycare for your kids, you'll want to hear this. Creating more spaces in Ontario on the path toward $10 a day solutions. But first, let's take a look outside on this Monday evening. Feeling a lot more like winter, but will it be looking that way this week? That's the question. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. Lindsay. Well, Nathan, all eyes are already on a storm system for the end of this week. And we're going to talk about that in detail when it comes to your main weather forecast. Here's what's happening right now, though. We've had bursts of flurries today around the greater Toronto area. There's one line extending toward the Hamilton area. Snow squall watches and mornings have come to an end. It's still windy with those winds coming out of the northwest. It's chilly out there too. Minus one degree this hour in Mississauga and Oshawa. Wind chill of about minus six. It's going to feel closer to the minus double digits through the overnight hours tonight. Again, we're monitoring active weather for later this week. There is a special weather statement in place. We'll show you what it could end up meaning for your holiday travel plans coming up. For now though, Nathan, I'll send it back to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Just ahead, marking a change of command. The man now in charge of Toronto Police. Pomp and ceremony today. But there's no shortage of work to do. The priorities on the path forward. Parents, listen up. The province says finding childcare is about to get easier. Big money for operators, but will it create the capacity Ontario needs? Here's CTV's Mike Walker. As Ontario moves closer to $10 a day childcare, the province is launching a new grant program for operators to create more affordable licensed childcare spaces. To help incentivize operators 
to expand their operations. Totaling $213 million, the one-time grants will prioritize regions with historically low rates of space availability. Of the 53,000 new spaces announced today, a third are located in the GTA. Peel region is allocated at the majority more than 7,600, followed by Toronto at more than 5,700, then Durham and York regions. To help those families who have been underrepresented in our childcare spaces historically, we want to see more families gain the access in the communities they live. 92% of child care centers in the province have opted into the national program, which plans to lower fees to $10 per day by 2026 and create 86,000 spaces. Ontario is on track. Today, the federal finance minister and Ontario's education minister highlighting a second fee reduction for families enrolled in centers that opted into the program, a savings of 50% by the end of this year. Cutting fees in half could save parents in Ontario about $6,000 per year per child. I imagine this means um, a lot of parents will have more options. More spots mean better care for our children. That's what we're looking for. Advocates argue those measures fall short of the high demand spurred by the program and ongoing staffing challenges. But unless we have early childhood educators and childcare workers to staff those programs, uh, it's just four walls. A recent report from Ontario's Financial Accountability Office found the high demand will leave the province short more than 200,000 spaces. To staff that, we would need 65,000 more childcare workers than we have right now. And so we need to have a really ambitious plan. The education minister calls the progress thus far a positive step forward. And the federal government in the plan and the agreement we signed with them allows us to review the deal in year three. And it gives us the opportunity to uh, look at the data, to talk about the need for more spaces, more funding. As for when families can expect another fee reduction, Lecce wouldn't provide a specific timeline, only to say sometime in 2025-26. Mike Walker, CTV News. And you can get more information on our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. Yet more violence on Toronto's transit system. Some scary moments for those on the subway this morning. CTV's John Musselman is live tonight at St. Clair Station with more on what happened there. John. Well, Michelle, another frightening incident. We're hearing about four people that uh, were assaulted by a woman on board a train, possibly with a bottle. Now, the mayor says he's meeting with key stakeholders to uh, try to improve security on the system. Toronto police say the latest attacks happened here at St. Clair Station this morning just before 9.30. Four victims were treated by paramedics after a woman allegedly assaulted them on the subway. An off-duty police officer was able to detain her until on-duty officers arrived to take her into custody. Police haven't confirmed it, but at least one witness told CTV News they saw the suspect attack a person with a bottle. We just need better mental health services overall. Um, and it's a symptom that unfortunately expresses itself on the TTC. I feel sorry for the victims. It shouldn't happen. People going to work and trying to live their lives. Do you get nervous? Uh, sometimes if I see people like, you know, place like so weird. This is the latest incident in a series of random attacks on TTC property. Last Thursday night, a man was punched multiple times unprovoked after boarding a subway car at Kennedy Station. An hour later, a woman was violently shaken and robbed. 
Police arrested 25-year-old Brandon Sevilla Zalea this weekend. He's charged with robbery, assault, and uttering threats. And on December 8th, two women were stabbed at High Park Subway Station. 31-year-old Vanessa Kurpuska died of her injuries in hospital. Another woman, a 37-year-old, was treated in hospital and released. Toronto Mayor John Tory says he's meeting with TTC officials to improve safety. That includes talking to frontline staff to get input on what they think will help protect riders. We're on this. Uh, I still think this is a series of unrelated incidents, many of them seeming to involve mental health episodes, and so there may be a lesson for us there. In fact, I'm sure there is, about how we have to do much, much more when it comes to providing a place for people with mental illness issues to, to get help. In a statement released today, transit officials say, quote, we have recently added more special constable patrols on the subways and we are deploying even more uniformed staff around the system. But we also know that there are bigger societal and systemic issues at play when it comes to the root causes of these incidents. And we look forward to a broader discussion about what can be done to reduce all crime. And the mayor says he has more meetings scheduled in the next week to 10 days to address these key issues. Reporting live outside the St. Clair subway station, I'm John Musselman. I'll send it back inside to you. Thank you, John. Toronto has officially welcomed its 25th chief of police. So what are Myron Demke's biggest challenges as he assumes the top job? CTV's Austin Delaney reports. Ladies and gentlemen, Chief Demke. Toronto's new police chief, Myron Demkew, taking the oath of office this morning, becoming the force's 25th chief. Definitely uh, need to take a moment to look around. I got to look around because becoming your chief is in many ways absolutely way better than any dream come true. Retiring interim chief James Raymer passing the ceremonial sword to Demkew as he begins a three-year term as Toronto's top cop. And in an emotional moment, the son of Ukrainian immigrants spoke to his now-deceased parents in their mother tongue. <clears throat> the 33-year veteran promised to build trust with the community. Listen, I will be doubling down at every effort to build trust. Acknowledging the hurt the year 2000 raid on a lesbian bathhouse he was part of continues to this day. I was, you know, reflecting on um, the impact uh, that event had on the community then and the impact that event continues to have on the community. And I recognize and acknowledge that there continues to be um, trauma and concern and an expression of, of uh, anxiety about my appointment. The chief says he will meet with the LGBTQ2 plus community to listen and learn how to bridge the gap where trust and confidence in Toronto police has been shaken. I am absolutely prepared to do an unreserved apology. But now the time is for me to listen and understand what that apology uh, should be. I'm very surprised that after 20 years, he doesn't know what it is that he's needing to apologize for. I think that says a lot about the state of the apology. The 56-year-old says he's committed to police reform and taking a public health approach to those with mental health and addiction issues. And with the new chief in office, the outgoing chief was piped out of police headquarters to begin a new chapter after 42 years on the job. The new chief says he's bringing two life lessons to the job, the importance of seeking understanding before seeking being understood, and that actions speak louder than words. Austin Delaney, CTV News.
South of the border now, a dramatic day in Washington. The U.S. House Committee investigating the deadly January 6th insurrection, recommending Donald Trump be charged. CTV Zarada Allman is in studio with more on what played out today. Zarada. Michelle and Nathan, it is important to note that while the committee has referred criminal charges for Donald Trump, only the Department of Justice can lay actual charges against the former U.S. president. But the recommendation is a strong symbolic measure and unprecedented. More than 17 months of hearings that included thousands of interviews and witness testimony. The House Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riots held its final meeting. Every president in our history has defended this orderly transfer of authority except one. January 6th, 2021 was the first time one American president refused his constitutional duty to transfer power peacefully to the next. It also marks the first time a former president is referred to the Justice Department for criminal charges by Congress. Those charges recommended by the committee against former U.S. President Donald Trump include obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to make a false statement, and inciting or assisting an insurrection. Ours is not a system of justice where foot soldiers go to jail and the masterminds and ringleaders get a free pass. Criminal charges also being referred for Trump's former election attorney, John Eastman. The executive summary of the report released today concluding Trump used his power to intimidate, obstruct and influence, all for one purpose. President Trump and his enablers repeatedly pressured state officials to take action to overturn the results of the election. The committee also described how Trump riled up the crowd at a rally on the morning of the attack and then did little to stop his supporters watching the riots unfold at the Capitol on television. The panel is also recommending four Republican members of Congress to the House Ethics Committee for not complying with subpoenas. In our work over the last 18 months, the Select Committee has recognized our obligation to do everything we can to ensure this never happens again. Donald Trump maintains he did nothing wrong. And it is now up to the Department of Justice to decide how they will proceed. The full January 6th committee report will be released to the public on Wednesday. Reporting live, I'm Zoraida Alman. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Zoraida. Russia launched a new drone attack on the Ukrainian capital today. 23 of these self-exploding weapons were fired at Kyiv in the pre-dawn hours. But defense forces shot down 18 of them, and there were no major casualties reported. Moscow has been targeting Ukraine's power grid since October as part of a strategy to try to leave the country without heat and light during the winter. The latest barrage caused emergency power outages in 11 central and eastern regions, including the capital region. Meanwhile, the Canadian government is trying to seize some of the assets of a Russian oligarch. It's going after about $36 million from Granite Capital Holdings Limited, owned by Roman Abramovich. A new Canadian law allows assets held by people who've been sanctioned to be confiscated and diverted. In this case, they'd be diverted to the reconstruction of Ukraine. It would be the first time a G7 country has implemented such a measure. And Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie says from the beginning of the war, we have warned Putin and his enablers that they would not be able to hide from the consequences of their actions. Impunity has never been an option and Canada will continue to pressure the Russian regime and those who have benefited from Putin's barbaric invasion of Ukraine. Abramovich is also 
partial owner of Evraz, a multinational steel manufacturer with a large plant in Regina and a facility in Calgary. Just before dawn today, a deal was reached at the UN Biodiversity Conference in Montreal. If we were to assemble in seven years, in 2030, and we would have accomplished everything that is in this agreement, it will be a very different planet, and, and it's going to be a major change. The most significant part of the framework is a commitment to protect 30% of land and water considered important for biodiversity by 2030. Right now, 17% of terrestrial areas are protected, along with 10% of marine areas. The deal would also provide financing to save biodiversity in the developing world. The U.S. National Transportation Safety Board will investigate after an airliner encountered severe turbulence causing injuries. The seatbelt siren was on at the time that the incident occurred. Um, and um, we're obviously in a, a situation in, in the islands right now where we're dealing with a lot of unstable air. 36 people required medical treatment. 11 of them were seriously hurt but will recover. Passengers say unrestrained people and objects went flying when the turbulence hit yesterday. It happened shortly before the Hawaiian Airlines flight from Phoenix landed in Honolulu. There were nearly 300 people on board. Heightened concerns about strep A after two Canadian children die of the infection. What you need to know about the invasive strain coming up. Tonight, Pat Foran coming up on Consumer Alert. A man recently won a $4,000 jackpot playing a slot machine, but the casino is refusing to give him his winnings. And the reason why may surprise you. I'll have that story. That's just it. Environment Canada already has a special weather statement in place for what they are calling a significant winter storm beginning Thursday. Now, there is confidence that it will be high impact, but uncertainties remain around the precipitation types and the amounts. This, of course, is ahead of a very busy holiday stretch. Lots of people are going to be traveling by road and air. We'll detail what you need to know coming up in your forecast. Ontario's gaming industry is concerned criminals are using casinos for money laundering and has rules in place to try and prevent it. But a Weldon man says one of the rules is preventing him from claiming a jackpot worth more than $4,000. Here's Pat Foran and Consumer Alert. Pat. Nathan and Michelle, the man won the jackpot playing a slot machine and there is no doubt that he is the winner. But to claim the prize, he must show photo ID, something he says he doesn't have. I just want my money and never to go back there again. Anthony Michael of Welland stopped in a casino Woodbine last month. Within a few minutes, he won a jackpot of more than $4,100. Well, I felt great. But when Michael went to claim his prize, he was told he had to produce government-issued photo identification, something he says he doesn't have. He doesn't drive for health reasons. I suffer from epilepsy. I'm 52 years of age. I've had it since I was 15. And that's one of the reasons why I don't drive, so no driver's license. Michael says he was unaware he needed photo ID to collect his winnings. The fact is you don't have to show identification when you're spending thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars. Um, you don't have to show ID yet to collect you do. Michael won the jackpot one month ago. He says because of government delays, he can't get a photo ID card until at least February. He says he won the money fair and square and would like it before Christmas. It's just before Christmas and that type of money, especially when uh, you're self-employed and not on any form of government assistance, would really help. 
CTV News reached out to Casino Woodbine and a spokesperson for Great Canadian Entertainment said players winning amounts over $3,000 must produce government-issued identification. This is one of the many requirements mandated to prevent money laundering in Ontario's casinos. The casino said there is no exemption from the policy for anyone, so Michael will have to apply for photo ID and wait until he receives it. The casino has assured him his $4,100 jackpot will be ready for him when his photo ID shows up. And the casino said it would also accept a passport, but Michael doesn't have one. While he waits for his photo ID, it could now take months before he receives his winnings. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. Well, this is a pivotal week. This is primetime holiday time for those celebrating Hanukkah. Christmas is in less than a week. It's always nice if the weather cooperates with one's plans. For sure. It's a very busy time of year with events, things to do, plus the shopping. I'm sure not done for people. Will the weather cooperate? Well, here's the thing. In the short range, yes, it will cooperate. In the long range, it's a little bit of a different story. And no, normally we don't focus on a storm that's this many days out in great detail. But there's reason for us to do it this time. Of course, it's without a doubt one of the busiest travel times of the year and we are expecting a high impact storm that could bring a couple of different types of precipitation so let's get right to it weather is brought to you by train the most reliable heating and cooling brand it's hard to stop a train so in the short range forecast all is calm we'll take a look at the satellite and radar when we have a moment here to show you the flurries that have been impacting southern portions of Ontario uh, we had snow squall warnings in effect a little bit earlier on today those have since come to an end uh, we are anticipating that the evening is going to be pretty calm and quiet here in the GTA. A couple of flurries extending toward the west end, but those are tapering off. Winds are easing and will be light tonight, and we're forecasting a low of minus 6. Wind chill of minus 9. Tomorrow, another seasonal day. One degree is what we're forecasting. That's the norm. Uh, it's possible that some areas will see a brief bout of flurries, but otherwise we're quiet for Tuesday and for Wednesday. Uh, no signs of our low-pressure system quite yet, but I do want to mention that as we make our way into Thursday, that's when the real active weather is set to begin. Here's a snapshot of your Tuesday afternoon, though it's going to be mostly cloudy, heading into the day on Wednesday, anticipating that we'll see a little more in the way of sun. Still possible for some flurries to impact areas like Muskoka, perhaps Midland, Penetanguishene once again, and extending over toward the Kawartha Lakes in Kingston. But it's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday where things are expected to become significantly more active. So there's certainty of a high-impact storm. Environment Canada issuing this weather advisory not to scare anyone, but just letting you know that you might want to adjust your travel plans ever so slightly. So at this point, here's what we're anticipating. And I'm going to use the seven-day forecast to help break it down. Starting Thursday, perhaps late day, the temperature could be mild enough for us to have some rain. Looks like that rain will continue overnight and into the early part of Friday. Notice how it's still mild at seven degrees. Then the temperature is going to drop dramatically. With this, uh, flash freezing is going to be possible in the areas that get rain. Other areas are going to see snow with this 
event and the rain areas could see a change over to some snow and it could be significant overnight low is going to be around minus seven and then as we make our way into the weekend it's possible that we'll see a change over to lake effect snow and blizzard like conditions are going to be possible in some areas friday and into saturday with the very strong winds power outages will be a possibility flurries for us here in the gta on saturday which is christmas eve looks like conditions will be calmer into sunday with a mix of sun and cloud but some of our coldest air of the season so far is going to move in as well that's your look at the weather for now and we want to thank everybody who's been helping us build a toy mountain tonight we're giving a big shout out to those of you who are doing that for us in support of the salvation army we've been receiving your photos on facebook twitter and instagram and it's so great to see how many individuals families and workplaces have been donating, holding toy drives, and making sure that that mountain continues to grow. You can find ways to donate by visiting our website, toymountain.ca, and clicking on Toronto. Hey, we also have a few special messages to share with you tonight. Take a look and listen. Hey, I'm Mitch Martin of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I just want to say congratulations on building a toy mountain, and thank you for helping so many families in need during this holiday season. Hello, CTV News. This is Bob this year, Santa will celebrate our 50th year anniversary. To celebrate such an achievement, we will work real hard to raise $10,000 for our friends at Salvation Army. That's not all. I'm Santo. We're building. Toy Mountain. Thank you to Samco Machinery and of course to Mitch and the Marner Assist Foundation, two spectacular donors this year. You can help us build a Toy Mountain right up until December 21st. Nathan and Michelle, I'll send it back to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Also tonight, a new twist in the Twitterverse. Elon Musk's own poll reveals users want him to go as CEO, but will he follow suit? Plus, how the markets reacted. On air, online, on every platform. Escape tragedy by mere moments. CTV News Toronto. A story you'll only see here. Winner of the Canadian Screen Award for Best Local Newscast. We have developing details. Watch weeknights at 6. Concerns about yet another childhood illness are rising after reports of two deaths in Montreal. CTV's health reporter Pauline Chan has more on the invasive Strep A infections. Public health officials in Montreal say there have been four reported cases of Group A streptococcal infections in children since mid-November. That compares to zero or one case during the same period in each year from 2017 to 2021. And this year, two children have died of the infection, both under age two. In the UK, 19 children have died of Strep A since September. Uh, very contagious. Um, we would need to do um, a throat swab um, to kind of uh, to screen for it. Streptococcus A is a common bacterium found around the world, but it's the invasive strain that is causing alarm because it can get into the bloodstream and cause life-threatening sepsis and organ damage. Symptoms of a severe infection can include fever, sore throat, and pain or redness or blueness in the infected area. Antibiotics such as amoxicillin and penicillin can treat a strep A infection, and children who have had recent respiratory illness, such as RSV, are considered at higher risk of getting a strep A infection. Maybe because, you know, their immune systems are still recovering and... Um, they haven't fully recovered from their previous illness. And then if you're adding someone, uh, another new um, infection on top of that, that might make them more susceptible. 
And it's not just the very young who are at risk. People over age 65 who have a chronic illness or are in close contact with an infected person are also at risk of getting invasive strep A. Pauline Chan, CTV News. It was a live-streamed court case and millions tuned in. Amber Heard's defamation trial against her ex-husband, Johnny Depp, after she claimed physical and sexual assault during their 15-month marriage. CTV's Andrea Case joins us now and after... Many months, finally, an agreement has been settled. Upon. Absolutely. Nathan and Michelle, good evening. In a written statement today, Amber Heard says, I have lost faith in the American legal system, adding she defended her truth, and in doing so, her life as she knew it was destroyed. Amber Heard has settled her defamation case brought against her by her ex-husband, Johnny Depp, with a $1 million payment. In a statement today, the actress writes, she did not choose this. I have made no admission. This is not an act of concession. There are no restrictions or gags with respect to my voice going forward. Heard had won a similar case in the UK in 2020. The British court found she was subjected to domestic and sexual violence. The couple met on the film set of The Rum Diary in 2011. They married in 2015, but 15 months later, Heard filed for divorce, citing irreconcilable differences and filed a temporary restraining order against the now 59-year-old. They reached a $7 million divorce settlement in August 2016, but two years later, after the Washington Post printed her op-ed piece in which she said she was a survivor of domestic abuse, Depp sued her for defamation and $50 million. In 2020, she countersued for $100 million. The tumultuous he said, she said case played out for all to see in a Virginia courtroom earlier this year. A seven-person jury unanimously sided with Depp, awarding him over $10 million in damages and awarding Heard $2 million. The 36-year-old says she has exhausted almost all of her resources and was exposed to a type of humiliation she cannot relive. The lengthy Instagram post goes on to say, I will not be threatened, disheartened, or dissuaded by what happened from speaking the truth. My voice forever remains the most valuable asset I have. As for the $1 million settlement, Depp is pledging to donate the funds to charity. Heard now a mother of a 20-month-old daughter plans to dedicate her time to the work which has helped her heal, feel seen, heard, and believe Depp has yet to release a statement. Reporting live, I'm Andrea Case. Michelle, I'll send it back to you. Thank you, Andrea. An original piece of movie magic has sold at auction for an out-of-this-world price. The animatronic E.T. model used in Steven Spielberg's 1982 sci-fi classic fetched $2.6 million over the weekend. The filming model is considered a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. It predates CGI and features 85 points of articulation. The auction listing says Spielberg described the E.T. model as, quote, the eighth wonder of the movie world. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Last Men's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. After the break, the journey home for Argentina, following the newly crowned World Cup winners fresh off their epic victory against France. Kids' strep cases spike. Tomorrow on CP24 Breakfast. How to spot the symptoms and take precautions to minimize the risk. CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. Three victims were members of the condominium board, but the motive for the shooting remains part of this very complicated and very fluid investigation. Updating our top stories, the SIU has taken over the investigation into a deadly shooting at a Vaughn condo last night. 
A gunman killed five people before he was shot and killed by police. A 66-year-old woman was also shot and remains in hospital with serious injuries, but she will survive. Uh, I know the man. I know the board of directors. I know this has been brewing for a long time. And I've commented to my wife several times this is going to end very badly. Police have identified the gunman as 73-year-old Francesco Villi. Court documents show he was involved in an ongoing dispute with the condo board. In November of 2018, the condo sought a restraining order against him. That led to a countersuit by Villi into 2019. For too long, childcare was inaccessible and entirely unaffordable for so many Ontario families. The provincial and federal governments have announced a reduction of fees at licensed child care operators across Ontario. It comes after the province signed on to Ottawa's $10 a day child care program in March. Ottawa says families will see savings of up to 50% on child care starting December 31st. In business, stocks are falling for a fourth day amid fears the U.S. Central Bank won't relent on increasing interest rates, despite wishful thinking from investors. With that and more, here's Andrew Bell from BNM Bloomberg. Hello there. U.S. and Canadian equity markets dropped another 1% today on the prospect of sliding corporate profits. Morgan Stanley strategist Michael Wilson said the plunge in earnings as the economy falters could be similar to the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. The stock market pessimist, who called this year's slump, warned that the vanishing profits may produce an outcome, quote, much worse than what most investors are expecting. The U.S. market is down 20 percent this year, and Toronto has dropped almost 10 percent. Tesla shares rallied a little, but then fell, trading near a two-year low amid speculation that the CEO, Elon Musk, will step back from Twitter and concentrate once again on his electric car company. Musk, 51 years old, tweeted that he would abide by the results of a poll asking whether he should step down as head of Twitter. Most votes favoured his departure amid controversy over who is being kicked off the platform. Musk also warned that, quote, no one wants the job who can actually keep Twitter alive. There is no successor. And finally, some retail experts say self-checkouts are not speeding up the customer experience or even saving food retailers money. Walmart CEO says thefts have risen. And London's Guardian newspaper says that many staff and customers link that to the self-checkouts. Meanwhile, workers find themselves wrangling large numbers of frustrated customers who find the devices hard to use. Let's check in on the markets. The Canadian dollar changed hands at 73.23 U.S. cents, up about one-fifth of a cent. WTI oil, the North American benchmark, traded at $75.19, up 90 cents. Western Canadian Select Oil, the Alberta benchmark, was at $47.96, up $1.65. And the TSX Composite ended the session at 19,200.76, down just over 242 points. That's the latest in business. I'm Andrew Bell of BNM Bloomberg. 
The federal broadcasting regulator will soon have a new person in charge. Vicky Etrides has been named the next head of the CRTC. The career civil servant begins a five-year term as chair and CEO on January 5th. She replaces Ian Scott. Etrides was most recently an assistant deputy minister at Innovation Science and Economic Development Canada. The creator of Fortnite will pay more than half a billion dollars to settle two cases in the United States. Epic Games was accused of illegally collecting children's personal information and tra tricking people into making purchases. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission says the video game maker will now pay a total of $520 million. $245 million is going to customers who fell victim to deceptive online techniques and billing practices. The rest is a fine for gathering information on Fortnite players under 13 without informing their parents or getting their consent. The company says it's making changes to address those issues. Just ahead, hockey heroes up close and personal. Young patients from the Hospital for Sick Children get a VIP experience at today's Leafs practice. France lost a heartbreaker in one of the greatest World Cup finals ever played. And today, the team received a hero's welcome in Paris. Look at that. Thousands of fans filled the Place de la Concorde, waving flags, cheering and singing songs. The outpouring of support lifted the spirits of the players who emerged on the balcony of a hotel. France lost 4-2 to Argentina, but superstar Kylian Mbappe is already vowing they will be back. Meanwhile, the plane carrying the victorious Argentinian team made a stop in Rome today. The plane was there to refuel before heading home, where a massive party awaits. Lionel Messi and his mates are scheduled to land in Buenos Aires around 2.30 tomorrow morning, local time. There'll be a private reception at the airport, followed by a public celebration at the Obelisk Memorial downtown later in the day. Here at home, the Toronto Maple Leafs have made a move. The Buds are sending Dennis Malgin to Colorado. The 25-year-old forward had two goals and two assists in 23 games for the Leafs this season. Coming to Toronto was forward Dryden Hunt. The 27-year-old forward notched two goals in 28 games with the Avalanche and the Rangers this season. Meantime, at practice today, the Leafs had an extra special audience. Dozens of young sick kids, patient ambassadors and their families were welcome to flood the stands at the Ford Performance Center to watch the Buds hone their skills up close and personal. The young fans were even invited into the dressing room where they got autographs, pictures and the chance to chat with their hockey heroes. It's become a holiday tradition for the Leafs to make time to meet kids from the hospital. It's a good deed. That's wonderful. What's happening on the weather front? All is quiet for tomorrow. Here's a look at what you can expect. Uh, calm conditions overall, but I just want to remind you that there is a special weather statement in effect for later this week. Be sure to tune in throughout the week as this forecast develops. Nathan and Michelle. Thank you, Lindsay. That's it for us, but be sure to join Amory Meadowake tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 1130. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a great night.